welcome to Dog Logical. I'm your host, Renee Rhodes, the behavior and training specialist behind R Plus Dogs. Here at Dog Logical, I hope to make sense of your dog's behavior and give you insight that gives you the best relationship possible. If you'd like to know more about me or you're looking for your next dog professional to work with, you can find me at rplusdogs.com. And with that, let's get into the podcast. Hi guys, and welcome to the podcast today. We have Kayla from The Toby Project. Hi, Kayla. Hi, how are you? Now, good. How about yourself? I'm doing very good. Very good. So do you want to introduce yourself? Give a little bit more information about you, your history, what you do? Sure. So um, as you mentioned, my name is Kayla. I am a physical therapist. I have a specialty in orthopedics. I live in Philadelphia with my husband, who was my college sweetheart. And we live with Toby and three cats. (laughs) What are your cats' names? I have Spanky. She's my heart and soul. And (laughs) Gus. We're not playing Um, favorites. (laughs) Oh, I I totally have a favorite. (laughs) Um, And then there's Gus. He was my first cat. And then Marty or Martin. He is our newest member of the family. We found him on the streets on um, MLK. Uh, which is the street Martin Luther King Drive. And we found him in about July and took him in. I anticipated giving him to my sister, but we kept him. Nice. I know yeah, it's, so- it's hard. Kittens and puppies, like, I, I don't know how anyone ever gives them up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no way. Toby and um, Martin ended up being best friends, like, within two days. So there's no way we we're giving them up. <laughs> Oh, that's really sweet. I love pictures of like dogs and cats cuddling. I think it's like so adorable. (laughs) It is the cutest thing in the world. (laughs) Um, So tell me, I mean, we have Toby, obviously, but Mm -hmm. what is your previous experience with dogs? So I'm actually a full-blown cat lady. Um, I have always been a cat lady. I grew up, you know, I feel like when you're born, you're either a dog person or a cat person. And I, I feel like I truly was a cat person. Um, so I did have dogs growing up. They're like little cute ones. Um, but I was always more invested in my cat, uh, Filio. And then I met my husband, uh, at college and he had a dog and his name was Max. And in order for me to, you know, get in with my husband, I had to join this dynamic duo, which was him and his dog. And they had like the absolute best relationship ever. It was, oh my goodness, it was beautiful. But um, I lived then, I had a good nine years with Max, who was uh, our, our previous dog. So he was the biggest one. Sorry, go ahead, Dobes. <laughs> Toby's like, let the me cat- tell my story. <laughs> um the cats are like antagonizing him while he's in his crate so I just had to like open the door so he there you go Tobes okay sorry (laughs) we have a cat we have um my cat Gomez who is the most uncat well maybe he's like a classic cat I don't know he's just we think he's pathological because he has no fear when it comes to almost anything 
but I love that. That's how Martin is. But I mean, when you said about being a cat or a dog person, I'm a Gomez and dog person. Like I <laughs> love Gomez. He's just such a care, like such a care. He's taken to this thing now where um, I hold him and he, while he's in my arms, he flops over onto his back and stretches out. And it's like trustful for a cat. I like, love it. <laughs> I, I love out too. All three of my cats are pretty much awesome yeah. um, and love to cuddle and they're just they're they're pretty they're cool cats yeah and max um max was amazing with them which was actually quite different than toby in the beginning (laughs) so how did toby enter your life so unfortunately uh we lost max in october 2019 uh he was almost 13 he lived a really long and amazing life um and when we lost him clearly we're just you know heartbroken so we found ourselves like three to four weeks later in the shelters looking for um a new family member to kind of help us grieve I guess (laughs) um so we found ourselves in the shelter and I saw Toby and I fell in love with him immediately I just, he was, you know, cowered in the corner of his kennel. He was so scared. He wouldn't make eye contact with anyone. And he just, he was just so, he was so sad. And clearly I just, you know, attracted to him. Um, I tend to always root for the underdogs. (laughs) So, so yeah, that's how I saw Toby. Um, And was it the connection or... Yeah. So, well, no, no. Cause he wouldn't even go near me or look at me, but I loved him. So we went to the shelter a few times that week, uh, looking for our new family member. And every time I found myself just sitting outside Toby's, um, cage while my husband looked <laughs> and my husband actually fell in love with a dog named Rocco and Rocco had a lot of Max's spirit. He was like this confident and like happy, wild dog who loved to play. And that's the one who Nick really wanted. And I really wanted Toby. He was um, otherwise known as Frank when he was at the shelter. And we debated about it all week. And then we got a call from a volunteer at the shelter who actually um, ended up being Toby's favorite human other than us and our like guardian angel, how the universe kind of put us together. But anyways, she called us and told us that Rocco got adopted by a loving family and Toby uh, was timestamped that weekend. So I was like, Nick, it's fate. (laughs) We have to go get Toby. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So the universe decided, not you guys. it really did. Um, Toby was timestamped for Saturday. So as soon as we got out of work on Friday, we went right over to the shelter and took him home. So tell us about Toby. Like, what are his kind of characteristics, his personality? Who is he as a as a dog? Toby is the complete opposite of Max. <laughs> so Max is this confident uh, dog where Toby is definitely more of a cautious dog. He, um, oh God, Toby. So 
when we first brought him home, he was just really shut down. I mean, so I didn't really learn about Toby. I feel like I'm still learning Toby, right? We've only had him a little over a year, but he is very fearful, super fearful, um, very afraid of humans. And I learned that one out pretty quick. So he is afraid of humans and he loves dogs. So it's kind of interesting to find out all his quirks. Um, but yeah. He also had some really bad separation anxiety. He wasn't cool with cats either. <laughs> so it was just, uh, we kind of brought him home and it was like a, man, a crash course into dog training because he actually had a lot more issues than I ever thought. I never even thought about it. My husband said like, you know, Kayla, he's gonna, he's gonna have a lot of issues. And I was like, no, he's not. He's just gonna be fine as soon as we get him out of the shelter. But, you know, being being a cat lady and really never training a dog before, I had no idea. So he was right. And he does have a, a lot of behavioral issues. But once he trusts you and feels comfortable around you, he loves so damn hard, like loves so hard. Do you know anything about his history? No, he was found tied up at, in a baseball field. Wow. So How old is that's he? all I know. He is, uh, he turned two in November. Oh, so he's still relatively, relatively young. Yeah, we got him when he was about one. He was probably yeah. a little younger than one. He was, he was little. So with your kind of um, baptism by fire of training, what did <laughs> you, what were your first kind of steps? Like, what did you, what were you doing when you first started out with him? So when I first got him, I bought the Caesar Milan book and okay. I read that and I hated it. I was like, that is not the relationship I want with my dog. And then I, um, I had a prong collar in my Amazon cart actually, because my mom was, she just got a dog as well. Who was fearful, a little Yorkie poo, like the tiniest little cute dog and her trainer who she only like saw twice. Uh, recommended a prong collar so she was like you know you need a prong collar and I was like oh, okay sounds good I don't love them I never have but um sure like I'll buy one and then I started to look on Facebook at some of the groups and I found a Facebook group from Eden Academy it was a reactive and aggressive dog support group and then I also found the do no harm dog training group um, from hierarchy of dog needs. And when I was trying to join the groups, they asked you questions. And uh, um, a lot of the questions were like, you know, basically saying that you're against prong collars, e-collars, aversive tools, punishment. And I was just like, oh, okay, I guess I am against them, you know, <laughs> and I, you know, picked that as the answer. And I dove into their files and I just fell in love with everything I was reading. It just felt right, you know, and I read how these aversive tools could cause more harm to fearful dogs, to any dog, but especially the fearful dogs from what I was reading. So I got rid of the uh, prong collar. I ditched the prong before I even used it. <laughs> and um, I dove into positive reinforcement. That is amazing. I'm actually, I don't know if you know, but I'm a moderator for the Do No Harm group. And we love when people answer the questions because it means that you can actually get in. <laughs> yeah, no, that, you, you know, you have no idea. I'm sure you do, but that 
saved, I feel when I look back, I really truly think it saved us a hundred percent because if I put a prong on Toby, knowing how sensitive he is and knowing how fearful he is, there's no doubt that it would have worked, right? Like it definitely would have suppressed his behavior, but it wouldn't be working because of the right ways. And I feel like it would have really hurt our relationship. And I don't know if we would, there's no way we would be where we are now if I went that route. So thank you so much for that amazing group because it really did, I feel, save me and Toby. Oh, you absolutely have to thank Linda Michaels because Linda is, you know, the hierarchy of dog needs is, Mm is Linda's baby and you know the manual and everything I bought the manual a long time ago yeah I did too (laughs) it's so it is really good it's very simplistic but also you know the information that you need is it's just broken down really really well and I know well in the groups we do you know we do promote the manual but I think when you give someone or when you recommend a book necessarily, you know, we're, we're very much an instant gratification kind of society. And mm-hmm. the manual was even not, it's not that much. It's not that long, but even some, some people, they still do not want, and some people don't even want to read our posts, you know, <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll sometimes encounter the same questions. And we're like, we've addressed this. We know that we've addressed this. So people can be aversive to, to information if it's not you know um, coming at them in a a very short tight form like just do this and this will work luckily for me I'm obsessed with reading I've always have been Um, my mom used to tell me to get a life because I would read so much I just (laughs) I just love reading so um, I loved the little the the pdf that I bought from the do no harm and then in addition to do no harm, I heard about uh, Jenny Dog Minded. Her Instagram was recommended to me, and she has a whole resource of books that she recommends. And I bought like every single one, and I've currently been reading through every single one, which is why I created my, my little book club, Rough Readers, so we could kind of learn together. Which is it's honestly so reinforcing to my own learn learning because I have to read and then you know present, um, and it's just learning for me that way is so much that's just how I learn so yeah it's a good kind of culture to get into is that you know kind of spreading of information and encouraging others to consume these resources that we have readily available you know there's yeah endless amounts of dog and good good dog training books or behavior books there are ones on the market yeah so good I can't the ones I've read I'm like man like can't believe they're putting all this amazing information in a book that cost me like eight bucks. Yeah. For me, as as a professional, it's quite validating sometimes because I'll read it and go, that's exactly what I say. (laughs) Oh, I, 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 I can definitely see that. Um, it is, it's just the amount of information that's at our fingertips. It's immense. And unfortunately there's a lot of things at our fingertips that aren't great. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of trying to like swim through all the things that you're reading and just, I guess, find the ones that speak to you. And luckily, I mean, for me, positive reinforcement um, and it just it just speaks to me. Yeah. 
I think it speaks to most people really. And I hope it does. <laughs> who enjoy, I mean, I just, I, if my brain doesn't understand something, I kind of just go, ah, I don't get it. I really can get very mm-hmm. fixated on things when they don't make, make sense to me. And yes, using aversives doesn't, it just never makes, I mean, I can understand it from the human perspective. Like I said, about exactly. Reinforcing to the human. Exactly. And mm-hmm. I get that part, but at the same time, it's like when people use terms like confidence and bonding and thriving, <laughs> and you're like, Kobe. those are not conducive with punishment. <laughs> no, a hundred percent. I loved, um, what uh running with dogs he made this post and it i think it was awesome it was let me see i don't want to murder it but it was punishment is reinforcing to the punisher at the expense of the punished yes. and i was like whoa yeah. that is awesome <laughs> absolutely absolutely and I could see you know with these things work right I could see how it's reinforcing to the human especially if you're a human who's struggling with um reactivity especially with Kobe his is mainly you know human reactivity and that to me feels it feels heavy right like it feels heavy when you have a pit bull or any dog but especially a pity um lunging at humans on the street you know yeah no it's scary I completely agree. I mean, I'm so white hot about, I have two dogs. I don't know if you know. Um, and, you know, with Lycan, who's the shepherd, I'm white hot with his behavior because if he takes one foot out of step, he'll be criticized for it. And he's exactly, not he's allowed to be a dog as much mm-hmm. as I can allow him to be a dog. And I know, you know, I often get into, into conversations with my, <laughs> with my boyfriend about dogs and our dogs in particular. And, you know, it sometimes it's upsetting to me because I look at, you know, the behavior of dogs. And if even between the two of mine, if Nero were to do something and Lycan were to do the same thing, they would be taken in two totally different contexts because Nero is, you know, very like fragile and slim, you know, dainty and um, Lycan's very much big and black and hairy and a shepherd, like yep. this kind of stereotypes of, of dogs where we have, you know, some dogs who are tiny, tiny little, little dogs and the behavior that they display, if that was, if that was Lycan displaying that behavior, he would be, you know, kind of ripped apart, essentially. It would just be yeah. the worst thing in the world if he were acting like that. As I mentioned earlier, my mom uh, adopted a Yorkie poo who showed um, his name Ziggy Stardust, but he's also (laughs) fearful and and reactive. And him and Toby show their reactivity in the same exact way. Yeah. Right. So like they both lunge and bark at humans. And it helped my family be able to understand Toby. So that was awesome. And my family at the same time was like, you know, it's too bad that a dog like Toby, um, people definitely criticize more than a dog like Ziggy where they just view it as cute. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The, the kind of classic with a small dog is like, you know, to laugh at the dog. And you yeah. just think, what's funny about the situation about this dog, you know, feeling emotionally responsive to something, expressing that emotion, and then you're standing there laughing at him, increasing I his know. discomfort. 
Oh, I know. No, definitely. I could see how that could be really challenging. And then I could also see how it's challenging, how I feel like people ignore the dog's reactions and they will either go up to pet the dog or, you know, the owner will carry them and put them in situations that they're not ready for. Whereas with me, at least with Toby, people aren't really coming up to us and trying to pet them. <laughs> you would be surprised they're though. I've been out with, with dogs and they have been, you know, people reactive and there's been the dogs barking and lunging. And I've had new, I can't even tell you how many people have come up and go, Oh, can I say hi? And I'm like, if you <laughs> want to, like that <laughs> moment to go, see ya. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. What about Toby gets the makes you think the message like, across? Yeah, I mean, I just can't imagine. But people are just so they're so disjointed in their understanding of dogs. It's like, oh well, I had a dog once. Like, you know, this is fine. Yeah. If I just say hi to him, I'm like, look, All you know, if you love me. Closer, yeah, exactly. All dogs love me. I, you know, I've had dogs growing up. That's great. I'm, I'm very, very happy for you. But at the same time, please don't approach this dog. <laughs> yeah, it's not this dog. <laughs> for your own benefit, please. Um, so uh, did you ever work with a, a, a trainer with Toby or? Yeah, so I hired a trainer once. Um, her name was Naomi with Praiseworthy Pets and she was positive reinforcement. She's amazing um she but it was a really hard session for me so I think when I hired her I only had Toby two months and I had this I had this false hope right that I was like maybe he isn't stranger reactive and maybe I just pushed him too much in the beginning and he just needed time to decompress and he's gonna be fine so when she came over he wasn't and I think it, it kind of crushed my soul a little bit and it really it bothered me to see him in such an anxious state with someone in our house. So it honestly kind of, it kind of put me over the edge. So we decided to hold off on working with any trainers to allow Toby to just decompress a little bit more. And then my husband um, told me that if I trained Toby myself, I would have uh, unlimited budget on dog books. <laughs> so I was like okay I'll try and that was so, reinforcing uh, for you <laughs> that, that was reinforcing to me yeah it saved him well I don't I ended up not saving him money probably but um yeah so we I kind of I took took the bull by the horns just because Toby already trusted me so much and I thought that maybe I would be able to do it without bringing in a scary person you know to get him to know and trust. So I haven't worked with anyone since, but I plan to this year because I definitely want help with um, stranger setups and more setups because I know as his human, I'm gonna see things that I wanna see versus things that I probably should see. So I do plan on um, working with Naomi again. It's just, I took a year hiatus from it. <laughs> It, I mean, to be honest, I'm so I'm in a full lockdown. I'm in the UK. I'm in a full lockdown. And I the benefit, the huge benefit of working with fear based kind of behavioral issues is I no longer have to compromise the dog by coming into their space. And I love that. Oh, I would have loved that in the beginning because it really wasn't a thing when I had him because I got him in November. So COVID didn't hit until March. And I don't I didn't see any trainers doing virtual sessions at that point 
Yeah. It's so been that would have been really helpful. Yeah, I'm absolutely. sure. I mean, knowing Toby and everything. And you know what? That's the other thing. I really have no excuse now. I could definitely totally hire a trainer and even just do virtual as well. It's time. I need it. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're... You could you you could only read so much. Like I am not a dog trainer, and it I'll probably see so much more progress if I just do it. So thank you, thank you for the push. <laughs> Changing lives, lives here at the Doglogical Podcast. Uh, <laughs> but no, I I mean it. I mean that it was something that I didn't really. I didn't really consider it until I actually thought about it. And I was like, actually, I'm making so much because console, it wasn't consultation, it was initial assessments. And the assessments yeah. for me are where I make my my kind of picture. You know, I fill in all the lines and I, you know, color in and I, I'm able to make that picture of the dog in the situation. And if I'm, I've been in situations where I'm uncomfortable with the management techniques in the house and I'm having to be tense because I'm watching every move I make and I know that the yeah. dog is uncomfortable and that's just, yeah. I mean, to not have that anymore. I was like, you know what? This is actually really, really great. I, I love doing assessments. So I do all of my assessment, even, you know, the, if I do work with people in person, I still do my assessments absolutely virtual. And I could definitely see that because even Naomi, when she first came into my house, you could tell she was like, oh, because I live in a skinny row home that is not ideal for a dog with stranger reactivity. So, you know, <laughs> even just trying to problem shoot, like, where am I going to go? And where is Toby going to go? And she did a phenomenal job. And even in that one session, like she taught me so much about treat, retreat. And um, just, it was such a valuable session. It just literally... Like I, I literally made a doctor's appointment and I was like, I need to go on some anti-anxiety meds like right now <laughs> because it was just, it was, so, it was just so much. So like I would go to work and I'd be stressed at work and then I'd come home and I was stressed that Toby was going to kill my cats. And then I'd come home and I was stressed that Toby was going to go ahead and bite some human. And I was like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> so yay for Lexapro. And then Toby got on some meds too, which is awesome because <laughs> it's really helped him as well. But I guess you could appreciate that from, from his standpoint is like having that decompression time, you know, is, is was incredibly, incredibly valuable for you wow. as well. So with Toby, that is the one thing that I think helped me the most be able to understand him and empathize because I, growing up, I've always struggled with a lot of mental health Um and when I was, you know, younger, I had really bad obsessive compulsive disorder. And then as I got older, I had really bad general anxiety disorder. So like, I understand what it feels like for your nervous system to be literally like rapid firing. And then when you're like that, any little thing will set you off. So kind of relating it to Toby, you know, he's so afraid of everything, right? And he also had separation anxiety. So he was in a constant panic attack every day. So he was already always over baseline, always over threshold. His nervous system was always firing. So like, no wonder he was lunging at people who are like completely like a block and a half away. Yeah. So instead of, you know, getting mad about it, I was like, wow, I'm so sorry. Like I feel for you, Toby. And I hate that you're feeling this way. And I just want to do everything in my power to make you not feel this way. Cause feeling like that sucks. Yeah, no, I I can definitely appreciate that. And also, you know, with, with situations like 
like topis and having to I just lost my train of thought completely (laughs) (laughs) sorry about that Um, no problem so how do you manage your your bad days um like I mentioned Lexapro and some wine (laughs) a lot a lot of wine (laughs) um no but as the one thing that always uh really really helps me and actually we had an awful day just a few days ago um and what always helps me when we have those bad days is the one saying that your dog isn't giving you a hard time they're having a hard time so as long as I keep that in my, in my mind and know, okay, you know, he's not being an asshole. <laughs> I'm sorry if I can't curse. Oh. But um, he's just, you know, really I don't trust myself, having so. a hard time. <laughs> he's just really having a hard time. So um, that, that helps me go through those tough days. And then when we have tough days, you know, just decompressing. And I, I, that's been huge. So if he has a bad day, I allow him to decompress and myself to decompress and we avoid, we, you know, we won't go for a walk and we won't, you know, go into the neighborhood. We just literally stay at home, do enrichment and chill out. That is amazing because I feel like I just did a post about it. Um, I think it was yesterday about, you know, what does the walk bring? Because so many of my, my personal clients I will have to say to them, stop walking your dog. And it's not meant 100%. in a, you know, I, I'm not critical of them. I'm not, you know, trying to lecture them. But if your dog is going out and the walk involves multiple or even a single reaction, and that dog is going out more than once a day or going mm-hmm. out once a day, every single day, like their cup runneth over like it's just taking a day out is not going to you're not a bad human you're not a bad caregiver it is the ultimate that you could do for your dog a pause I agree completely I read a midnight dog walker by Annie Phoenix and she actually has a chapter in her book do not walk the dog and I remember looking at it being like what And then as I'm reading it, you know, it just makes so much sense. If you're trying so hard to modify your dog's behavior and get them to feel differently, but then you go ahead and you take them on these walks that has nothing but triggers and reactions, that's going to be a really slow process. Um, And I just read that 2.0. I'm reading that now. And she she, uh, compared it to Tony Soprano. Um, you know, he goes to therapy, right? And he's trying to work on his panic attacks, but yet he doesn't change his environment and he doesn't change his, his behaviors. And he's, you know, still going out and dealing with the mobsters and all these things. So it's like, yeah, his progress is going to be really slow. And I loved that analogy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when, when Toby has a bad day, we definitely avoid walks. And honestly, decompression walks has been, I think, his saving grace and a oh. huge component to his, yeah, <laughs> he, he, he wants to. He, this is uh this is his witching hour which I learned is actually um I forget what it's called it's something with a c I read it in canine enrichment but um Skiller. there's yes yeah, thank you so he's he's going through that right now yeah <laughs> but um yeah no see now I lost my train of thought <laughs> but <laughs> yeah no avoiding walks has been huge decompression walks have been the biggest part of his progress I believe because we started taking him 
at, you know, before 6am, luckily we're both morning people, we take them on a long line. And we started out in parking lots, and then we progressed to more nature spots and trails and just letting him enjoy walks and sniff and explore. And then by avoiding triggers, we're able to train all these other alternate behaviors. We're able to work on recall and more emergency U-turns. We were able to have my husband walk him uh, without triggers, which was huge for our relationship and our marriage mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to make sure we're all on the same page because that's huge. But Absolutely. yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. Uh, that was a long winded answer to say, you don't have to walk your dog. And if you do walk your dog, try to walk them at off hours until they learn uh, how to change their emotion. But I think that's the thing. Like if you're, it's all about the the individual dog. If your dog goes out for a daily walk or two walks a day mm-hmm. and they have a great time and you come back and you know, you both think, ah, that was a, quite a nice walk. That's cool. If your dog goes out and they, you know, don't go out every day, maybe they go out a few times a week or, you know, you choose the sniffy walk over the, the pavement walk. That's okay too. Like there should not mm-hmm. be this set you know, take your dog out every day. And that if you don't, then you're there's something wrong with you and your your caregiving abilities to your dog. You're doing it. Yeah, I don't know. Like, no, I don't know where that came from either. Because I felt that too. And then every time I take him, I'm like, this is horrible for both of us. And because he had he had uh, some big reactions to dogs this week, and he loves dogs, but he gets really frustrated and a little mix of fear so his leash reactivity with dogs is actually like it's pretty tough to manage right now but he had um some big reactions and I got I usually take him for a little walk when I get home and I was like yeah no way like not happening today so we just you know did a lot of training and he's cool even though he's barking at me right now (laughs) but that's something that's a a meme I try not to perpetuate is the whole daily walk thing because I think yeah people can feel so much guilt in that Mm -hmm. or they feel the compulsion to do it and they're like it doesn't you know what I hear a lot is it doesn't feel right not to be walking them it's like when you feel that that compulsion to do that replace that with an activity that your dog is go- is going to benefit your dog. So like do some enrichment, do some of your, you know, your training practice, your cues, you know, all of those things can be beneficial to your dog and still, you know, use that, that mental energy instead of trying to fixate on, you know, my, my dog needs to get out and physically move their body. Enrichment too. I mean, there's so many great ideas now that you could look up online. There are so many great resources for enrichment. I didn't even know enrichment was a thing. And me and my husband to this day, I always say, man, like, we wish we knew more about this when we had Max. Um, to grant and Max lived a great life, but we had no idea enrichment wasn't even a thing. We had like one Kong and would throw peanut butter in it and thought that was like, oh, there you go. Um, which is great, but like, there's so many other things to do, like the recycling boxes. I always reuse my recyclables now having them shred and forage. And it's just, it's such an interesting world. And since, you know, we do have Instagram and all these great things at our fingertips, it's just really an easy way to look at some other things you could do other than walk your dog. Oh, 100%. I just think, I mean, I was doing, I've been doing enrichment for about 10 years, but I was doing enrichment for my dogs before I even knew that it was enrichment. I just thought this looks fun, we can do this. But it was never something, you know, now it's it's formed into this thing, which is 
a totally different animal than when I originally started doing it because we didn't, I had things like, you know, kind of like puzzle feeders and Kongs and um, like treat balls. That was, that was the stuff that I had and maybe bones and, you know, massages and mm-hmm. things. But now it's like, you know, egg boxes and to- toilet paper tubes and cartons and cardboard and, you know, make this kind of <laughs> this it's thing so, snake of like, <laughs> treat it's so much treat. fun. Let your creativity flag fly. Absolutely. And I think that really engages the human aspect of it is, I don't know if you've you've listened to the podcast before, but talking with, um, with Beth from Enriching Paws, I think it was episode, episode three, episode four. And that, that was her creative outlet to her, her dog, but she equated it to like the bento boxes for, for kids that their their parents create. Oh, Yeah. like a, such a beautiful experience of making this thing and putting all this time. And obviously the dog doesn't care, you know, it's, it's whatever it's food. It's, it's the engagement aspect, but it's, it's like a piece of love. Like you create this thing for your dog. And then for me, I watch, I always watch my dogs with their enrichment. I love it. Oh, I, just, I video <laughs> <laughs> and then share. <laughs> yeah, No, I mean, sometimes I think it's when I do that, sometimes I think like, this is just Nero playing with his millionth Kong. Like, I love it. I'm going to hear it. People are like, boring tap forward. <laughs> it's a dog playing Kong. It's, no, there's nothing better to not only see a dog play a Kong, but listen to it. The noises that come when a dog eats a Kong, it's the best. Oh, I love the crunchy sound. I love when dogs eat like really crunchy things like carrots and stuff. And they make that kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> it's the cutest thing. I do. I, love, I never get, it's never, ever gets old for me. I'm like, oh, I want to feed him right. this. So he makes this sound. <laughs> it's, it's so, and you know, it always blows my mind though, how much they won't eat. I'm like, really? Like, you're not going to eat? Like, Toby is not into vegetables. And like, but like, he likes cauliflower, but not broccoli. And I'm like, is there really a difference, Toby? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, Nero doesn't eat any. I have to sneak his fruits and vegetables into his food because if it's not a meat and it's not a cheese, Nero wants nothing to do with it. Like he's yeah, just, Toby. No, <laughs> Toby's the same meat and potatoes type of guy. Yeah. <laughs> So mentioning about, you know, social media and shares and stuff like that, you, so you have this account for Toby and it, it chronologicalized, it chronologized it, I cannot say the word, let's start that one again. So you have the social media account, which is dedicated to Toby. Do you feel like the, having this outlet is, is really helpful or harmful for, for your situation? Helpful, 100%. I, it saved, it, it, I needed it. So when I first made Toby's Instagram, I honestly didn't think it was going to be anything but posting like some cute pictures with some funny commentary. Uh, But then I started sharing kind of, you know, his training and being open about his reactivity. And I just got such good feedback. So and then I started, you know, looking for other people that, that were going through, you know, this reactivity journey. And I went from feeling completely isolated and completely alone to feeling completely supported. So for me, it was a lot to do with the community and finding other people going through what I was going through. Because a lot of people don't really talk about it. 
And I was so happy to find other people willing to be like, oh, you know, they're like, hey, like my dog has the same struggles or my dog, you know, is going through the same thing. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm not alone. So for that, it was really helpful. It was also really um, helpful. Positive reinforcement trainers, you guys put some awesome stuff out there. And the resources, you just learn so much. So thank you for everything that you, you know, you post because it helps us dog parents really learn. And it's, it's huge. And I know it's a, it's a time commitment to do that, but just know that you are all very much appreciated. Um, and it's just, it's also been awesome to, you know, see Toby's progress. When you have those bad days, you mentioned, you know, what do I do? And one of the things I do is I go back and I see how far he's come. So it's my journal. It's my, you know, where I have a community and it's where I learn. So I, I'm very appreciative for his Instagram account. My husband, not so much. He says it takes up too much of my time, but I love it. <laughs> but you're, you're, you know, that's an interesting factor as well, because I often will tell clients when they are working with, with fear-based behaviors and especially kind of chronic chronic issues um, to sometimes keep a journal because it can, it can feel really overwhelming. And us as humans, yeah. we focus on if we've had, and it's just, it's natural, but we, if we had a bad day, it's like, oh, you know, this is awful. And is it, is it going to get any better? And it can feel really, really like just completely debilitating and having a journal, even, you know, kind of crude smiley faces, unhappy faces, or, you know, even numbers of like reactions of dogs or that kind of stuff. You can just have a, a visual to say, okay, today was a really crappy day. What, what is the, what is the week been like? And I will often say to clients, are you journaling? If you are, look at your journal, let me know, you know, what, what, what has been the kind of week like, and often more often than not, they'll go back into their journals and it is a positive. There's just a blip along the way. And that is an excellent, excellent tool. So for you, I mean, I'm not, I'm not kind of advocating for all of my, my clients to have, although I'd love to watch their progress, um, <laughs> have a social media account for their dogs, but it's interesting that you use it that way because that's a really great resource. The other great thing is I'll post videos of me training Toby and for any trainer listening to this, please feel free to give me your feedback because I appreciate it. So I'll have trainers, you know, message me and be like, Hey, do you know, you're saying like, yes, when you're clicking and like little, little tips like that, or, Hey, why don't you try like switching your treat pouch to the other side? So by me posting my videos, it makes me a little vulnerable, I guess, because, you know, people will judge, but if they're judging me, just, you know, forget you. But, um, it's also helped me become a better, you know, trainer for my dog because, you know, people are seeing things and they're being awesome and providing awesome feedback to help me like clean up mechanics or just, you know, pick up better things on body language, things I've never, you know, would have seen other people are seeing. So it's, it's a really helpful tool. And I think it is good. I mean, I often will recommend to clients to video them themselves if they're doing more basic training stuff, not necessarily mm -hmm. like, you know, full on behavior stuff, but, and look at what they're doing, what their timing is, how they're rewarding mm -hmm. or when they're rewarding. And it is a great feedback machine when you can review that. But yeah, 
I mean, you've kind of opened a, <laughs> have you put that on your, on your social media? Like, please come and critique me. <laughs> but be nice about it. Yeah. yeah of <laughs> Wait, but never mind. Let's take that. Let's take that back. Maybe don't critique <laughs> me, guys. <laughs> um, but that's the thing. When you have a social media page, it's, it is open. I mean, people say stuff and I don't really take anything offensive. Like if somebody comments, you know, like, oh, I wouldn't suggest that, or, you know, you shouldn't, I, I understand their, I completely appreciate their information, their point of view, you know, within reason, if it's a balanced trainer coming at me, I'm like, see ya, but, you know, if, <laughs> yeah. if it is something from someone's point of view that is relevant, but also I may not necessarily agree, then there's no mm -hmm. reason for me to fly off the handle whatsoever. It's like, that's your opinion. I appreciate your opinion. I appreciate you taking the time to leave that. But at the same time, you know, I've opened myself up to that by having a social platform. Yeah. But I don't, I can't Definitely. imagine. Well, no, I, I, I was just about to say, I can't imagine anyone being really critiquey on you and harsh, but I forgot it's social media. So. <laughs> yeah, trolls will be trolls. Yeah. <laughs> and do you, and speaking of trolls, do you get a lot of trolls? Because I imagine sharing your story does, you know, it does attract a certain kind of crowd sometimes. You know, for how much I post and how loud I am about my feelings, certain things, I actually am surprised at how few trolls I get. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I get them, but nothing nothing wild um even I yeah no I really don't get that many trolls it's always something that kind of baffles me which I'm very appreciative that I don't yeah um but when I do I just you know they'll men they'll make their comments and instead of being defensive I make sure that I'm I just kind of open up the open up the floor for a conversation and instead of being defensive I always follow it up with a question um, it's something I've learned with being in management. So it's just kind of when you have a confrontation, instead of, you know, being defensive and accusing, just be like, so what do you think? How would you do it differently? Um, please feel free to give me any of your input. <laughs> and usually when I do it that way, then they give me their input and I say, thank you so much. Uh, I'll, I'll give it some thought. And usually I don't give it much thought because they're telling me to use a prong collar or a what, what have you. But I do think, you know, we all could learn from one another. So if there's something that they have that could benefit me and Toby, I'm all for it. I'm all for listening to it. And that way, I think it just prevents, you know, me from getting into a really bad state of mind. Yes, I, I completely agree. I used to, when I first kind of started my business, I used to get into those kind of classical debates with people. Um, mm -hmm. And I quickly learned that I, A, don't like that. It's, I don't like, because I would find that I would start off being, you know, very informative and then it would slowly creep into mm -hmm. being very snarky. And then I was like, this is yes. not a yes. side of myself. Um, so yeah. I, now I just block and delete. Like if they're engaging in a conversation, I am willing mm -hmm. to engage. If, if I can tell that they're not engaging in a conversation, then there's no reason for me to, kind of, you know, respond to that in any sort of way. Yeah. I'm happy if people want to learn, um, but there's learning and then there's being reactory. 
Exactly. I have probably just like one, I have about two um, dog moms who are more of the balanced trainer, uh, you know, mindset and sorry, hold on. <laughs> Toby. Let's see. Nick, can you call Toby? Okay. Sorry about that. Um, and I'm very lucky that I could have actually pretty awesome conversations um, without getting into that reactivity. But honestly, like those are probably the only two people I could do that with. Because outside of that, like you said, it could get into these debates. And then it's like, he said, like, you know, proving each other wrong, and it just could get ugly. So how do you, what do you guys talk about, if you don't mind me asking, like where, how do you kind of draw the the line, if you will, between those conversations where you just fundamentally disagree? So, I mean, we just kind of talk about our point of view. We talk about punishment a lot. Um, and, you know, you know, they'll tell me how it's benefited them and added clarity. And I'll tell them how it's just something I'm not willing to risk, um, especially, you know, say with Toby's leash frustration with dogs, you know, he likes dogs. And if I go ahead and punish him for those reactions, can I go ahead and make that um, frustration more into fear or rage? And then now all of a sudden he doesn't like dogs. Um, we'll talk about different theories and we'll share different, you know, um, podcasts about things we like and things we could agree on. Um, you know, I'll send them, you know, I'll definitely send them your podcast. I've sent them Hannah's podcast and they, you know, enjoy a lot of that. And they'll send me uh, Jay Jack. That's a popular one that they like or um, Chad Mackin. And I'll listen to some of their things. And we just usually have a conversation about what we actually listen to. It's pretty awesome. It's awesome that we could have those conversations. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes we'll get a little heated, but you know, it helps because we are all just doing what's best for our dogs and what we feel is best for our dogs. Um, and the, the people who I talk to, I mean, they're, they are amazing dog parents. They're, they're doing, you know, great work with their dog. It's just a different mindset and basically about punishment. It's really all it is. Yeah. And are they, I, I think I maybe missed that, but are they professionals in the industry or they're just people who. Oh, no, no. Dog just, just dog moms. Yeah, just dog moms. I don't talk to balanced dog trainers. <laughs> just just fellow moms. <laughs> I know, I know, no, I don't. So I, I am never going to be judgmental to dog guardians doing their best to help out their dog ever. Um, I am going to be judgmental to dog trainers who are utilizing um, methods that don't really have you know, science to back it up and that are just not humane. So bounce trainers, I'll judge, <laughs> but uh, dog humans, I won't. Or you, dog often, you often find, and I know sometimes it's easier for me to say this than kind of, you know, a person who, who doesn't have that, that knowledge base, but you often find that people who are using these methods do not have a solid or an existing educational background. So for me, it's always interesting to look at people giving the information and then I look at, well, what are your credentials? And when I mm -hmm. see none, I think, how am I supposed to learn from you? I, I can't, I wanna learn from people who 
are above my level. I want to learn from people who are doing the thing and, you know, kind of educating about the thing and moving us forward. And I just think when you have, or when you, or when the conversation is presented, there's just nothing really to talk about. And I think that's why people get into these squabbles is because, and it's no disrespect, but you're not coming from the same you're not coming from the same base. Like mm-hmm. one person is in one position, another person is a different position. And if you're not if you're not at the same base, then you can't have a legitimate conversation about something. Yeah. And a lot of times like the conversations that we'll have, like they'll just be like, you know, an end because clearly like we're we're going different different places here. Like we view it <laughs> quite differently. So we don't keep, you know like going at it it's just like all right you know agree to disagree teach their own <laughs> yeah and I think that's um, the, the nicest way to just handle it because 100 oh, <laughs> percent. and uh, you know that has to be so frustrating as a dog trainer who has you know who is credentialed and to see other people label themselves as the same as you right like they call themselves a dog trainer and they have no credentials and just you know have experience with you know some dogs when they grew up like I just can't get over how that like if like I'm a physical therapist I went to school for seven years I'm residency trained so I did extra schooling on top of that and I'm in like a crap load of debt because of it and if I had a Joe Schmo call themselves a physical therapist after all the schooling I did and all the debt I accumulated like that would just drive me so mad and I just can't can't get over the emotions you guys must feel and I'm sorry for that (laughs) (laughs) it's not your fault it's not your fault we don't blame you it's just it's it's just that has to be so like that would make me so angry and it does make me angry and I'm not even a dog trainer (laughs) um for those listening Kayla just had a sip of wine for both of us um, <laughs> <laughs> that was a really good moment to have it <laughs> a big old gulp of wine I don't drink but you know I you drink it's <laughs> a perfect down. time perfect time to have that I, it's just so yeah it is I can't even express how frustrating it is because it's there's just no regulation as well it's like you know when people say oh I want somebody who has experience it's like what professional do you think like if you think of a surgeon like yes you want a surgeon who is experienced but you also want a surgeon who is keeping up to date with Mm -hmm. the most modern methods both in oh yeah technical field but also in their you know biological field like you want to make sure that this professional is there's no professional that's like well that's me done studying like now I'm just gonna do whatever I do like it just doesn't happen and I know I'm not a surgeon like very (laughs) great analogy I'm not a surgeon I'm not gonna no but it's that that level of or a psychologist you know you you go to school you have all this time and dedication to to your craft and you still you're still studying the, the studying the education it, it never ends and it, it it's no. frustrating because balance training gets to a point and then it's like that is your that's your kind of area like that's where you go you mm-hmm. don't deviate outside of that you know, there's only kind of so many moves on the chessboard with balance training. Whereas I, I mean, I'm speaking for myself here, but I have 
so many moves, you know, if something doesn't work, I can move to something else and I can move to something else and I can move to some, and, you know, thinking that positive training limits me, but it actually, I think it really invigorates me because I have to think all of these points, all of these pieces, how do I get these to fit together so that this dog has a chance? It has a, you know, a setup, a plan. I love everything you just said. Thank you. Like everything you just said, I love so much. And that's something that I've definitely discovered. Um, and I think, I think you hit the nail on the head, like exactly. Because the more I read about positive reinforcement, the more I'm learning all these amazing and creative ways to train your dog and to change their emotions. It's not just like, here's a cookie, here's a cookie. There's so much more that goes into it. You have pattern games, you have behavioral adjustment training, you could do nose work. There's so you like, there's so many different ways. So when people tell me, you know, I tried positive reinforcement, it didn't work. And I'm like, really, what did you try? Yeah. I tried throwing food at my dog while it was over the threshold. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's, it's, I'd much rather be creative and have fun while training. And that's another thing, personal play. I just took a bunch of courses from Fenzi Academy about personal play and using that to counter condition. And it's like, wow, like there's so many great ways to counter condition and have fun while doing it. I just did a bat setup with Toby and another dog and it was so enjoyable. Why? Because with bat setups, you do it at a really large distance and your dog's under threshold. So I don't have to really worry about Toby reacting. He just casually sniffs and looks at the trigger. Like it was so nice. (laughs) you know, it's not showy and it's not going to get a TV show for you because it's quite boring to watch. But as a, you know, a dog mom, like I'd much rather see my dog sniff and occasionally glance at a trigger and realize, okay, the trigger is not that scary versus having him, you know, blow up and me go ahead and do a collar pop and he stops and his tail tucks under and he calls it quits because he's practicing learned helplessness. <sighs> yeah. Also knows in in a calm, submissive state, which I mean, these things like that. I mean, also that's where having, sometimes I feel like having the knowledge is a hindrance for loving dogs. Because when I look at things and I, I hear someone saying like, and this is him and he's really calm now. And I'm thinking that dog is the opposite of calm. Like that does not, that dog's body language and it's hard with a photo. It's very, it can be difficult unless you know the yeah. context, but when yep. you're watching a video, that's a whole nother story. And when I watch these videos and I see that and they're like, oh, now he's calm. We want to reinforce when he's calm. It's like mm-hmm. the dog's not calm. The dog is scared to make a wrong move. That's totally yeah. different. Totally different. Body language is so important. And that's uh, something that I think every dog owner really needs to dive into because once you learn it you can't unsee it yeah it's crucial it's absolutely crucial it is one of the I think if anything I mean it's something I teach in my puppy classes because I feel like Mm -hmm. they you know if this is your first dog or you haven't had a dog in a while or even you know if you've had a million dogs before Mm -hmm. has anyone taught you about body language because most of the time and this is another reason why I don't like lead greets and and things like that is because people do not understand how to read their own dogs. They might think they know their dogs and they probably do to an extent. And if they're really, really good guardians, they, they do 
have a really good relationship with their dog. Therefore, they are listening and looking out for their body language. But most of the time, people do are not aware of their dogs and their dog's body language. And I had no idea about it. I remember, yeah. like when I first got Toby, I had no idea that like his tail being tucked in between his legs meant he was scared. I was clueless. And I had no idea that he like wasn't enjoying me taking him to the pet store and the bar. Let's not even go over my first, my, the few mistakes I've made in the beginning. But, you know, a lot of people don't, don't know. And I didn't know. And it's just, I think anybody who has a dog, like it should be like mandatory. Like, this is how your dog's going to communicate with you. Here's their body language. And please listen to it. Yeah. And there's so many subtle signs that, you know, people do miss and, and it gets to the point, especially with things like, you know, fear-based kind of reactivity and stuff mm-hmm. where it's like, you could have stepped in before that, but you have, because you're not aware, you have totally missed all of those, those cues, those subtle cues that the dog gives yes. and just focused on you know, the reaction part or just focused on the bite or just focused on the, you know, the mm-hmm. actual physical, the real exaggerated movements of the dog. And it's trying to get, especially with my own clients, trying to get my my clients to look at those subtle signs, to watch the breathing of the dog, to watch the ears, to watch, you know, even so much as like, you know, the, the, the where the body of the dog is, is it a little bit forward, is it a little bit back, mm-hmm. stuff like that is reading the dog and reading the situation and that can get people out of so many situations that could be negative for them and their dog and that is why I needed to hire a positive reinforcement trainer (laughs) because (laughs) I just recently cleaned up when I would click for engage disengage I just recently cleaned up when I would do the look at that cue and you know in the few months I've cleaned it up, I've seen huge, huge changes in Toby's human reactivity. And it was all because I was getting it before he kind of transitioned from like that, like orienting to that eyeing, right? Like I was missing those subtle signs that he was already, you know, too close to the shoreline. He was already too stressed and I wasn't changing emotions. I was preventing a reaction right? But I wasn't actually getting the underlying emotion. And if I just hired a positive reinforcement trainer and didn't try to read books by myself, I would probably be a (laughs) bit farther right now. (laughs) Because it is, it's, it's, it's those little details that are so crucial. Yeah, but it takes, I mean, I, I've kind of transitioned into saying more of a coaching aspect because it, it is like, I can take a dog and I can train that dog and I can modify that dog. And you know, that the dog is not the thing. The dog is, you know, it's, it's behavior. So I need to help the person understand what to look for, how to react and, and all of those little subtle kind of nuances, like you were just saying, because that's, that's the cream like that's where we we make our successes yeah no definitely I've seen it I've seen a huge difference once I actually started paying attention to that oh dang I wish I did it earlier (laughs) (laughs) no but at least you're on the I don't want to say the right side because that sounds very patronizing but like at least you're on you haven't done more damage like you have not yeah positive and I always say to to clients and stuff because 
they'll be like, what if I'm not doing it right? Or, you know, I just want to get it, get it right. And if, what if I do, I was like, even positive reinforcements in some respects, not all respects, mm-hmm. but even positive reinforcement, if, if you're fudged a little, you know, there's, guess what? There's no problem. Like the yeah. pressure is off because if you miss time, you know, if you miss reward or if you miss reinforce, mm-hmm. the, the worst part is, you miss reinforce, you miss time, you miss tra- like yeah. that's the extent of it. We go, okay, well, that was, that was a little boo-boo. Let's kind of sharpen mm-hmm. that up a little bit. Um, and I like to, this is my, my tip. I like to actually practice with clients um, in the first couple sessions with dummy dogs or, or um, what's the other term for them? Uh, stooge dogs. So we're not actually, we're working with their dog, but we're working and I generally will, the dog knows, like the dog knows that the dog is not, it's not real or whatever. And even if it is, sometimes it's like, okay, is this going to stress the dog out? If it stresses the dog out, then we'll just remove the dog. But it gives, mm-hmm. instead of the dog, I'll say, well, the tree is another dog. And imagine this is how we're moving. And this is what we're going to be doing because the mechanics of it is so important to get first and foremost, before you yeah. can go and go okay let's go and we're gonna go practice in the environment like if they it it just adds too much pressure to the to the human side of the leash that Mm -hmm. I just don't I don't like putting that on people and that's something that I learned through doing my work is that you know giving people that that time to get that muscle memory down and practice without the pressure and then taking them out for the first time and going right okay you know this is what we're Mm -hmm. doing we're setting up the scenario it improved them so much, so much more than trying to do it, you know, right off the bat. Yeah, I definitely think like the mechanics, uh, it's very important and getting it at the right time. But like you said, you know, I much rather us, you know, dog parents, just typical dog owners with no um, experience in the dog training world hold a cookie and a clicker versus having an e-collar on your dog and holding a remote control like the fact that there are dog owners like me who are just you know we're fumbling and we're learning as we go um having that type of equipment and fudging corrections you know that makes me really uncomfortable and i'd much rather fudge uh a click or, uh, you know, a reinforcement than um, a punishment. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point because when you're, when I come to someone and they have, say they just, you know, they've just been going along and they've just been doing maybe the walks and trying to desensitize and the environment and stuff. I'm so much happier at that point than if they come to me and say, well, we worked with so-and-so and we had this happen. And, you know, we tried the prong collar, we tried the e-collar and it's like, mm-hmm. So we've already, we've gone into where we were neutral, we've gone into a negative. So now not only do we have to modify your dog's behavior, but we also have to regain their trust. So yeah, that's that's a powerful statement. Yeah. From a professional standpoint, I would so much rather that the person is just kind of doing the bumbling along and and trying Mm -hmm. to find their way, but not resorting to those things than me having to explain to them, look, now we have even more work to do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
but it also hurts people when I, you know, when I have to explain, and I'm very honest with my, <laughs> with my clients, like I will, I will say a spade's a spade. Like I will tell them, this is, you know, this is what we, what we have to do, or this is what it is. I have no, there's no malice in it. I don't want anyone to ever feel bad or mm -hmm. feel judged because they have used a tool or they have made these choices because that is the information they had at the time. But yep. at the same time, it's, it's a breath of fresh air when they're like, we just got this dog and this behavior started. And I'm like, yes, let's go. <laughs> Here, let's go. Let's there's, go. A, there's a, have you read, um, Suzanne's, uh, I, I might say her name wrong, Clothier or Clothier? How do you Clothier. say her last name? Clothier, have, did you read her book when bones, uh, if bones rain, uh, rain from the sky? It is, I think we messaged about this. It was, <laughs> I'm awful. Um, I I haven't. I have it actually next. It's next to the couch. And I just got another book, um, which it's on the bottom of that book. But I started reading. Um, <laughs> I started reading another book. And um, yeah, so I skipped that one it's, and I went to the to the other one. But yeah, it's on my, it's it's on my of, to do. It's one of those books that like literally like just hit your soul. And there there's this like chapter that really like really hits home I, is it okay if I actually like read her quote because this one like so, really yeah. gets me with unhappy regularity I meet dog owners who deeply regret following the advice of someone who was an expert and authority figure who instructed them in how best to train or correct their dog believing what they understood about dogs and training was nothing compared to what the expert must know find an expert as you will um these folks ignored the protests that rose up inside of them bit back the questions that they wanted to ask and in misplaced faith treated a dog in a way that made their hearts grow a little harder and like that that quote is like that just gets my heart and I just feel like it I hopefully like something like that could really speak to other dog parents who have gone down that path because you you could only only blame yourself for what you didn't know at the time and yes. you know as dog owners we put our 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 faith in these experts quote unquote um and it's sad because so many times we get misguided absolutely and I also think it's very important for people to take ownership for you know what they can and they cannot do because there are certain things that I am not comfortable working with. And if I'm not comfortable working with it, I'm not then going to take that, that dog on because that's not, it's not ethical, number one. Mm -hmm. And number two, it's, I'm, I'm all about optimal welfare. So if, if I take that case on <laughs> and the dog, it all goes pear-shaped that I would feel, I, I would feel horrific about it. And yeah. I think having the awareness of what you're capable of and what you're not capable of and what you what you have as your specialty is really important because that gives you that ability to be able to say, I don't have the expertise or I do not have the, the knowledge in this, mm -hmm. but I know someone who is going to be able to, you know, really, really do well for you. And I think that's sometimes where I feel like balanced trainers are off because it seems like they cover everything under the sun. And for yeah. me, I don't understand how that's possible. How can you be 
I mean, I understand how it's possible, obviously, like, you know, but I don't understand how, how logically they can, they can kind of come to that conclusion that anything can be solved by them because there's no real, there's no real kind of flow chart when it comes to balance trainers. It's like anything that comes across them, they're going to, they're going to work on it. They're going to solve it. They're going to, you know, correct it. Um, And in other kind of, and I'm sure you're aware, like in your profession, in in other kind of more mindsets of health, there are avenues and specialists exactly. where you can funnel other other clients to. So if you don't cover something and you don't feel comfort, comfortable and you're not a specialist in that area, you don't do it. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. You know, I'm an orthopedic specialist. I specialize in orthopedics. I could treat uh <laughs> you know ACLs or like and like a rotator cuff repair I treat the spine I treat the neck I treat orthopedics if I have a neuro patient come to me I refer them out I'm like hey you know you have a neurological condition I would be serving I would be doing a disservice if I took you on you could get much better care from someone else so here's the contact information make a call send them on their way. You know, you don't treat something that you're not comfortable with. Um, I see the one thing that really hurt me is when I saw balance trainers treating separation anxiety. And that, that like gets me a lot because I just, when I see them training separation anxiety, it's just so wrong. And I feel like that's a specialty in the dog training world, like separation anxiety. It's, it's, it's own little category. And seeing people just kind of try to like, you know, fake it. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, please just send them to a specialist. (laughs) Yeah. It's a hard one to work on as well, because it can take, it can take a lot of time and it it takes a lot of dedication to help that dog feel comfortable with, Mm -hmm. you know, and there are different types. So it's not necessarily like separation anxiety is this it's, you know, it's looking at that again, assessing and looking at that individual situation. And I would say like my separation anxiety cases, I, I treat, you know, not a treat, but I look at it, it has as much depth as, you know, a reactive dog or a resource guarding dog. Like it, you need to look at all the parts, all the moving parts to be able to figure out what is the best plan for this dog. And, and some of them look really similar and some of them are completely different. There's just no cookie cutter, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of plan for, for these kind of behavior issues, because every, just like us, like, you know, there might be some, some things that work for some humans and other things that, you know, the plan needs to be unique for that individual. Definitely. But I think the separation anxiety is handed, at least from what I've seen from balance trainers, it is handled in ridiculous ways. The same exact way. And the same exact way. It's like, yeah. create your dog, ignore them for hours on end, and then create them some more, and then don't look at them, and then create them a little bit more. Yeah. Ah. No. Which is, <laughs> you know, the separation anxiety dog's absolute dream is to be isolated and restricted. <laughs> Yeah, that's gonna that's gonna solve it. One hundred percent. Toby's Toby's separation anxiety. Out of every trigger he's had, whether it was um, his reactivity to humans, whether it's his reactivities with dogs, 
practice separation anxiety, if I had to get rid of one, it would definitely be separation anxiety. It was the worst to deal with. It was the worst to see. He would go in these pure panic attacks. He would just destroy everything. He destroyed our couch. He destroyed my Kindle, remote controls. But that wasn't even the, the hard part. The hard part was just seeing him in a pure state of panic. Yeah. And if I ever took advice from a balance trainer on how to handle that and to ignore him and to isolate him and to implement structure by literally having him either live in a crate or living on place, it, I just wouldn't. <laughs> that's like, that's triggering for me watching that. Like that's, that's my trigger. Yeah, it's hard. I, I do view a lot of um, averse content, but I don't follow anyone. And I often, yeah. I've had my own, I mean, pre-lockdown the first time last year, I was, I was in a critical state. I was probably having like, <laughs> I was probably having breakdowns like every few weeks. I was like, what am I doing? Um, Lockdown has been amazing for me because it's allowed me to reassess my own, my own structure to my business and my behavior. It's just having too having and doing too much and then having to absorb. Um, and I don't, I don't want to say this because it sounds really, it doesn't sound nice, but having to absorb other people's emotions, because that is a large, large part of, you know, doing behavior modification with dogs is, being behavior modification, you know, support systems for their humans. And that can be draining in in a sense sometimes. No, I feel you a hundred percent on that. (laughs) Dealing with people when you deal with people all day, it could be a lot. And it's hard to kind of put that bubble around you and not let it like personally affect you because so oftentimes it does. No, absolutely. But I mean, lockdown, let me, it let me reassess and let me do all that. But the, the whole compassion fatigue and and that stuff is just, Mm -hmm. it's, it's real. Like it is so, so real, but we, you know, when we have dogs who, and I know not to, to that extent, but with lichen, I mean, we had to restructure basically our lives and our schedule and our home and everything that we kind of were, we were doing before is not what we're doing now. Um, and to have that, that dedication to do so, because it is easy to just say, you know what, he's not a right fit. Like, you know, let's find him another home or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I mean, and I credit my boyfriend, Scott as well, because he, I've had some, some troubles, you know, when early, early day, days, nothing any, any time recently, but um, you know, was I the right person for Lycan? Was, was this the right scenario? You know, was everything, how much could I give him? Not from his, from, you know, that he was a bad dog. It's just his needs were not necessarily compatible with me, my schedule, you know, being able to, to change my, my routines and stuff for him. And Scott was just like, you know, he's here. He's, we're not, we're never getting rid of him. Like, we're just not, it's just not even, you know, and it's like, that wasn't really what I was kind of saying. It was more, I was really struggling, like really struggling at that point with my own kind of inner turmoil, because for me, having a dog, the more you learn about dogs on a, on a kind of like welfare level, the harder it is for me to rationalize 
having a dog. <laughs> no, <laughs> no it, it's a lot. It, it is, but at the same time, but I mean, the, you know, having, having that care, having that outlet for yourself is, is incredibly, incredibly important because mm-hmm. it is hard. My, it is hard, I think. My husband's like, there's many times where I just like, so like with like my anxiety disorder and everything, a lot of times I'll catastrophize and spiral and um, Toby, I mean, Toby belongs with no one else but us. And I don't even know if anyone would really take on Toby because like I said he's, he's not an easy dog but something so comforting even though like I know I would never get rid of Toby ever like he is my heart and soul like he is like we're like a uh, he's my baby I would never but just to hear your significant other like when I'll like mention like my struggles or if I'm struggling with Toby and I'll, you know, mention some of my fears, like, you know, what if, what if, like, Nick's always, my husband's always like, yeah, no, we'll never get rid of him. We'll make it work no matter what. I mean, we, me and my husband love to vacation. We love the beach. And we've always wanted a little beach house. It's always been a goal of ours. And we always viewed it as like a retirement goal, but we actually just bought (laughs) um a a little beach house because there's no way we could even like envision going on vacation and having Toby stay with anyone so we're like okay let's just like be a little broke and have a vacation spot with Toby so we'll just for the next decade of our life you know probably travel with Toby and it's just like you know just adapting your literal like your whole life around this little innocent creature that just needs a lot of help it's been a lot and it's been a lot and it's been hard but at the same time it's it's just so worth it when you have saved a fearful creature yeah and also I think it 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 changes you as a person or at least you know my experiences is that for me, Lycan and Lycan's, he, he's had some reactivity in, in the past. It's nowhere near anything like it was before, but mm-hmm. it changes you as a person because it, for me professionally and, and personally, it, it sent me someplace that I had never, I mean, Nero's just, he's, he's been relatively easy. If I'm completely honest, like he's, he's a dream dog. He's kind of the, yeah. the dog that everyone's like, you know, I, I wish my dog was like that, but Lycan was like, whoa, <laughs> where did you come from? Um, and having that experience, it, it just, it gives me so much. Like I can appreciate when people say like, oh, I have so much experience, blah, blah, blah. I was like, Lycan, Lycan is one dog who has given me the experience of a thousand dogs. Like he's just thrown everything completely out of the loop. Like I had to, and this is another reason why lockdown was really good is because it gave me that time to reassess everything, including the structure of me and my business, but Mm -hmm. also him. And our change was almost immediate where we started. I looked at what I was doing, how I was doing it, you know, and the changes in him were, we've just never looked back from that point. That's awesome. It is, but it's... (laughs) lockdown lockdown was huge for us and the cats so like Toby definitely wanted to like hurt my cats for the first few months and then with lockdown I had 
I only had two weeks off because um, both me and my husband are healthcare professionals, but they did shut down my clinic at the time um, because we didn't know what was going on. And in those, just having two weeks with Toby and my cats all the time, it was, I was able to, you know, train them together and have them actually be together um, in a positive way. And I, when I look back to those two weeks of not working because of um, lockdown, it was like game changer. Yeah. I think it's good when you have a dedicated time. Oh my God. It was so good. And that's like definitely what I needed. If as long as Toby didn't kill my cats, like we're good. Like I could, <laughs> I could deal with strangers. I could deal with other dogs, but like he cannot, he cannot hurt my cats. Yeah. Um, that's just, it was, it was hard to live in. A, it was hard to live in a home where you're constantly on edge that one of your babies were going to die. And for the multi-dog households, I like, I give it all to you. And because that is something that has to be so challenging. And so for anybody who has multi-dogs, like I am, I feel for you and I, I give you all the power, like heads, like hats off to you because that has to be just so challenging, at least with my cats, like they could jump up on things, you know? But with dogs, I just I just don't know how people do it. It's I mean, it's good. We we've had one fight very early, early days, and it was completely my fault. It was mismanagement on my part, and mm-hmm. management always fails. So of course. But mm-hmm. bar that, you know, they uh, but I'm also very careful. There are there are ground rules from day one. Like they okay. do they generally don't eat, you know, high value stuff around each other. They have their own dedicated areas for eating. They don't eat next to each other. They can't see, they can barely hear each other. Um, we don't have, we don't have resources down like toys and bones and stuff all the time. And um, another thing for, for us particularly is having like two dogs with two completely different activity levels um, is training Lycan to leave Nero alone. <laughs> <laughs> so we would use the cue leave him so that he would turn because Nero loves to sleep he loves to be comfortable and sleepy and like warm and I don't want uh, it's important for dogs to get really good quality sleep and I don't want Nero to also become you know in a, involved in a pattern of feeling anxious about sleeping because Lycan might, because Lycan's very invasive. Like he has no, he's that guy at the, you know, at the bar that's like right up in your face, like, hey, how you doing? It's like, <laughs> buddy, just take a take a half step back, please. Um, that that is him. So like, if Nero's sleeping, he would often previously go and kind of shove his face in his face, or you know, he's very nose focused, so he'd shove his face in his foot, or you know, he, Nero would be under the covers and he tried to lift the covers. So teaching him a leave it or leave him cue was really important. But for oh, that, I mean, it's always sweet to me when Nero. <laughs> Nero loves other dogs, by the way. He's a such social butterfly, but, and Lycan sleeps in a, in a crate, in a covered crate. So in the mornings, Nero sleeps in the bedroom with us in his bed and he'll come out. And it's almost like, he's like, hi, Lycan, morning. Do you want to play? Like he'll give him, you know, he'll touch his nose and it's just like, then I'm like, so sweet. Fine. Yeah. But are they cuddly, you know, dogs that like are best friends and do everything? No, they're not. They're like, really they're like friends who live as roommates basically 
That's so funny. It's good, but it's ta- it takes a lot of management, I would say. I, I probably won't, I don't know if I would have two dogs again. I think it's a lot more work. It's a lot of management and it it can be fun. It can be nice and, and enjoyable, but I think Nero was probably like, when's this guy leaving? <laughs> yeah, no, I can't, I can't imagine. That has to be so hard. I feel like my poor cat Spanky. So like Spanky's my shadow. She follows me everywhere. Toby's my shadow. He follows me everywhere. So like they definitely like will clash with each other because like they're on me at all times. And I feel like Spanky's still like, you know, mom, <laughs> like, when's this dog leaving? <laughs> at least with like max like max was like you know always wanted to be with nick toby's like literally glued to me um it's it's awesome that now we're finally all able to sleep in the same bed so like toby's like literally like always on my right arm and spanky's always on my left arm and then marty will like sporadically come up on my stomach so i literally like every morning i wake up i'm just like infested and surrounded by animals and it's the best (laughs) And like my husband's like somewhere in the bed, (laughs) but I'm surrounded by animals. (laughs) If, you know, when I die, that's how I want to go. Just smothered by animals, please. Like, oh my goodness, please, please. (laughs) So what do you feel is like the most helpful advice that you've ever gotten when, you know, kind of we consider caring for a reactive dog? Um, Other than... So basically changing your dog's emotions. I really think it it just comes as simple as that. If you focus on changing your dog's emotions and addressing the cause of reactions, um, I think that is the most important piece of advice um, you could take. And then also there is a quote I wanted to read um, for anyone that is struggling dealing with their dog's reactivity. Um, it's it's one that always, when I do have a bad day, I always go back to and reread it. And it always makes me feel a lot better. So I'm going to read it if you don't mind. Yeah, shoot. Um, it says, despite patches of frustration, sorrow, confusion, anger, hope, and happiness, the person who accepts a fearful dog into their life will find fulfillment unlike any other. When you have saved a confused and innocent creature and shown that animal what quality of life can be, there will be quality, meaning in your own life, you have made a difference. And that's from Sunny Weber from Beyond Flight or Fight. And that quote, I think, if you are struggling with your dog and their reactivity and this whole journey, just always remember that you saved an innocent creature that just is a you know trying to find their way in the world and you should find quality of your own life within that absolutely yeah and you know why when you think about your training methods why add more injury to already injured like Mm -hmm. that that ability to help a creature who is you know, maybe has had really, really negative experiences in their, in their life already. And as you know, often we like to say, like the world itself is punishing enough. I love that a hundred percent. Just help your dogs out. Exactly. You know, be Mm -hmm. nice to your dog. Like we do not deserve dogs. We do not deserve them. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so do you have any, besides those, because those are very encouraging words, but do you have any words of encouragement for other reactive dog moms out there? Or you dads? got this. <laughs> you you got this. <laughs> take, it, take it one day at a time, uh, one walk at a time, one reaction at a time, and just know that as long as you are constantly being your dog's safe place and you are, you know, constantly being the epicenter of awesome, as I like to say, then, you know, it's only up from there. So just be awesome. Yeah, be be awesome. (laughs) Be awesome for you and for your dog. Yeah, and make it fun. If you're not having fun, change something because I don't think your dog's having fun then either. And what's the point? I mean, we welcome dogs into our life because we want to, we want to share. We want that kind of companionship. And also, you know, the, the fun is the best part. Like, I love when people are just being joyful with their dog. Like how nice is that? It's awesome. Um, Personal play has been huge for us. I love playing with him. I love when he offers play and it's just, just get goofy, man. Just get yeah. weird. <laughs> That's going to be your quote for the meme is going to be get goofy, man. <laughs> <laughs> we'll add that on. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much for being on the podcast. It has been really, really enjoyable interviewing you and learning about you and Toby. Oh, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. And thank you so much for all you do for our lovely dogs. Thank you. I, I try. <laughs> um, so can you Some days are better than others. Um, can you tell us where we can find you on social media? So where can we hear about you and Toby? You could hear about us at on Instagram at the Toby Project with underscores. And also we have a fun website coming your way that is going to be my book club, The Rough Readers. What? breaking news yeah that's to be announced it's coming it's it, it's almost done though oh cool excellent yeah. no I look forward to that that's gonna be that's yeah. really gonna be fun are you focusing just on the books the book aspect book ask I lost all the ability to speak um are you focusing on the book aspect or are you kind of branching out into other things um no so um my friend Aiden from uh bark app he created the website and it's all just going to be about Rough Readers Book Club. So it's going to be a place where we can have actual like discussions going on. We'll have polls about which books we want to read next. And then we're also going to do Rough Readers Renters where we could actually um, share books with one another because it could get pricey. Yes. No, that is very, very, very cool. I think it's a, you know, we probably said before about the book club and and stuff like that, but it's a, it's a great, it's a great conversation to have when you can inspire people to read more info. The, the, I want to say the right kind of information again, but that's very biased when you get people, but it is (laughs) the right information. No, Uh, the only, no, um, yeah it's it's inspiring to get people into that direction and and having them learn because like I said before if people are even if people are just doing it and it may not be you know fine-tuned it's so much better I'm so so in like just my heart bursts when somebody says you know like well we've 
just been doing this enrichment thing or we've just, and I'm like, yes, 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 yes. Like, great. Come on, bring it on. So that is awesome. I can't wait to, for you to launch that. Me too. <laughs> right. So thank you again so much. And hopefully I'd love to have you on the podcast in the future. Oh, that'd be awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, guys, for joining me here at the Dog Logical Podcast. I hope that you had a great time listening to this episode and learned a little bit along the way. Don't forget, if you liked this episode, share it with a friend and leave us a review. Thanks again, guys, and see you next time. Mm-hmm.